Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Yes, indeed. It's bonus time. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show where we bring on some guests and tape it in advance and play it on a Monday, I want to say. Right, you Doctor? Are, you're getting good at this. Man, just call me Mr. Radio, okay? Did I tell you I went to radio school? Oh, no, you didn't. Well, it would have been a lie if I said I did. That's I what did. I meant. You didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did not go to. But Dennis went to radio school. Anyway, um, uh, with uh, uh, with me in the studio, uh, Drew Du. Shinskis and Richard Rodriguez. Richard Rodriguez was my guest that I brought in. Uh, he's from uh, Our Revolution, a Bernie guy. We're going to talk about Bernie's plans to uh, run again for uh, president of the United States, get that Democratic nomination. And uh, Richard brought his friend Drew in. I said, hey, Drew, get behind that microphone. Turns out that Drew is a political consultant, knows a thing or two about politics in the state of Illinois. And Drew, how bad did I Ben butcher your last name? No, no, no. That was perfect. Oh, yeah. that, nice. was, that was perfect. I just learned Rowdy how to points. pronounce it a week ago. So uh, before I had always said Dzinskis. Now it's Dushinskis. It's Dude. really got to have a flavor to it. Drew Dushinskis, Richard Rodriguez are in the studio. How about that? I didn't butcher either name. And from now on, I'm just going to call them Drew and Richard. And I can't screw either one of those things up. All right. We're going to start with Richard Rodriguez uh, and uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself, Richard. I met you at a bar in Plainfield, Illinois. Mojo's. Mojo's. That's right. Mojo's. Folks, the food at Mojo's was D. Delicious. We did a remote there a couple months ago. I had all the candidates uh, uh, coming through the studio. So, uh, Richard, talk a little about yourself. Uh, where, where, where are you located, so to speak? Politically? So I was born and raised in Will County, mm-hmm. Illinois. I grew up in the city of Lockport, and now I'm raising a family in the city of Joliet. And you're very much involved in Bernie uh, Sanders' uh, campaign. Well, I was a Sanders supporter in 2016. And uh, proud to be a supporter again. And you're on the board of? Our Revolution. All right. So that is an organization. Tell folks a little bit about Our Revolution. So Our Revolution was birthed out of uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign from 2016. Mm -hmm. A lot of the organizations or a lot of the volunteers after the campaign wanted something to continue to work on and formed various different groups and came the birth of Our Revolution. So a lot of the Sanders um, workers, people that worked on the campaign, ended up uh, being a part of our revolution on the national level. So in some ways, Bernie uh, created an infrastructure, if you will, uh, that would outlast the 2016 campaign, would be there ready for him uh, to work with uh, when he ran again in 2020. I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. I I think he wanted really to to bring about the positive change Mm -hmm. that he was campaigning on. And uh, the, the, the group formed, you know, to, to live out that mission. So candidates come and go. And if you've been involved in the politics, you, you see candidates come and go all the time. Uh, but revolutions do endure, and that's part of our mission. Right. So our, our focus is grassroots organizing mm-hmm. on issues 
and on candidates as yeah. well. Yeah, you can see I'm a jaded, cynical Chicago reporter, man. Yeah. I went right at up, pretty put it, put it together so he could run in 2020. But you're telling I me, I don't that- think he did. I, I honestly, I, I honestly believe that he wanted to bring about the change that he campaigned on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that most elections have organizations that come out of campaigns. So if you look at Organizing for America OFA, you mm-hmm. know, through the, you know, that was one of them. Or if you look at uh, you know, any of the other big presidential campaigns that were, that were birthed out. All right, Drew is chomping at the bit to get a few words in edgewise. Uh, all right, Drew, tell folks that before you uh, deliver whatever proclamation you wanted to deliver at that moment, though you may forget it if I uh, go on a tangent, tell folks a little bit about yourself. Um, I was raised uh, in New Lenox, Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, not far from Joliet, just on the border. Uh, I went to Lincoln Way High School and then attended Joliet Junior College, and then I went to University of Illinois Springfield after that. Mm-hmm. I uh, marinated in the political juices down there for about 12 years and uh, <laughs> came back and had learned a few things by osmosis, you yeah. might say. Um, <laughs> So now I'm just swinging away in, in the Illinois political scene as often as possible. And, right. you know, to, to speak to what uh, the purpose of our revolution is and to the points Richard is mm-hmm. making, uh, good organizers design organizations. They build organizations, mm-hmm. right? So organizing for power, you build something that should theoretically last beyond you. Yeah. You should organize yourself out of a job at all times. So in that regard, I think... All the Bernie Sanders people from 2016 have done an excellent job of that. Yeah. They've built up an infrastructure. They've built up organizations in all 50 states. They're they're a potent force. All right. Now, you supported Bernie uh, in 2016. Do I have that correct, Senator? Yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but you've not decided who you are going to uh, support in 2020. Not yet. I'm playing it close to the vest. All right. <laughs> uh, well, Richard, why are you supporting Bernie? His platform. Plain and simple. You know, I support Medicare for all. I want to see the expansion of public education. And those are two big issues that he's been campaigning on for quite a quite a while. And uh, I want to see a brighter future for my children. And I think he's the genuine, uh, genuine token, I guess, if you would. Uh, you can, you know, say a lot of things about a lot of politicians, but someone that has a history uh, such as Bernie Sanders, uh, he, he, he's the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are cynical about politics and skeptical about politics. All you gotta do is look him up and uh, see what he's been saying for, for the many years that he's been in office. Mm-hmm. So I like consistency. I don't, I don't want to uh, not be, I don't want to be surprised. And you know what you're gonna get when you, when you elect Bernie Sanders as president. Uh, and uh, the, you mentioned uh, Medicare for all. I've been thinking a lot about this. There's, um, I'm for universal health coverage. Personally, I voted for Bernie, by the way, in 2016, as I told you guys before, uh, in part because he was calling for universal health coverage. I now realize that politically we're in a bizarre state. Follow me on what I'm about to say, gentlemen. I'm trying to do it coherently in the United States, where, every, where I think everybody across the board wants universal health care, but people are afraid of losing the coverage they have. Many people are afraid of losing the coverage they have. So when they hear Medicare for all, they're afraid, or it can be easily um, manipulated into telling people the Democrats are going to take your coverage and turn it over to communists or socialists or senator. It could be used as a tool against Democrats. So, Drew, I'm going to throw this to you. You've been in the game for a while. Do you think it's a viable issue for a Democratic candidate, uh, Bernie Sanders or any Democratic candidate, to run uh, against Donald John Trump for president calling for uh, Medicare for all? Throw me a softball, Ben. <laughs> Would you? Come on. <laughs> Come on, hit that one out of the park. Go. 
I would hope so. Mm-hmm. I, I would hope it's a part of. I, I think that if you are, what's what's the phrase by, or what was the phrase by Sergeant Shriver? If you're going to do something that's going to fail, it has to be big and bold enough to overcome the critics. I believe that was something like Medicare for all. I saw, I have seen over the, you know, course of many campaigns, healthcare come up regularly and be a driving issue to get people to the polls. I think it's something that gets people who don't normally vote to consider going out and voting, and I think that participation leads to democratic victory Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. So I would hope that we're swinging for the fences on that. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of those bigger issues, that's what I would hope. That's what Bernie does well, right? He's a big, bold, you know, character on the national scene that is swinging a bat for a lot of different causes that deserve a voice like his. You know, I love Bernie Sanders. I just didn't say I was going to vote for him. Okay. He's got to earn it. Uh, well, what about, Richard, the the point uh, this, that I was also making? Uh, yes, I understand, uh, Drew, your point that uh, it's a big, bold plan, uh, and you can get people who don't have health coverage uh, involved in the process. What about people uh, who already have uh, health coverage uh, and are very concerned that they're going to lose the coverage they got? Do you think that's going to be a turnoff? You know, I, I think it's uh, interesting, right? We, we had this debate already. Right. So this debate has already taken part uh, during the Obama administration. That argument was made already and it was proved wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So people have the Affordable Care Act that exists today. And already we had a reelection campaign just recently on on taking they wanted to eliminate and they continue want to eliminate about the Republicans. That's right. They want to eliminate, you know, the Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. And it is not popular. Well, you can. Look at the statistics. Seventy percent of Americans support, you know, Bernie's Bernie's position. How many? Seventy percent. So we had a hundred and nine people sign on uh, in the in Congress to the Congresswoman's uh, proposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders just came up with his bill that was proposed a couple of days ago, and we're moving forward. And I think we're going to have another election in twenty twenty about that question there. Mm-hmm. And and I think the cynics are going to be cynics. And I think people are going to be fearful of the unknown. But, you know, I, I believe that uh, Bernie's position is going to be the right position because uh, health care is a right. It's mm-hmm. a human right. We're, we're, we're talking about, you know, an, an industry, a, an industry, a profit-making industry to um, on health care. You know, that's that's that's. That's not a conversation that happens in developed developed countries. Mm-hmm. Canada does not have that conversation. Yeah. You know, Denmark does not have those conversations. You know, most of the you know industrialized countries now have universal health care. They yeah. have you know Medicare for all. You know, and there was a uh, I remember in 2016 uh, when Bernie was running, he was talking about uh, uh, free college tuition, yeah. which. I, I was, that was one of the reasons I voted for him, you sure. know. Uh, but then talk about a manipula- an issue that's manipulated. Um, uh, many of the more mainstream Democrats, Dems we call them, sure. uh, immediately said that's unrealistic. Yeah, uh, you cannot make promises like Unbelievable. that. Unbelievable. Uh, and it's crazy. Yeah, as Bernie would say, these radical <laughs> ideas. Right? Unbelievable. Who Wait, would have you, thought like you public education yeah. would be free? Yeah. It's not a very good Bernie. Not, it's not. I'm not. not a very good Bernie. But but to be honest, yeah. like let I, we, I just had this conversation yesterday with a friend, a uh, person that was involved with the county Democratic Party. You know, wasn't a supporter of college, free college tuition. And, you know, it's remarkable to me. Like, people think about your life, your own personal life. You more than likely grew up in a public education yeah. institution, you know. 
would you choose to not send your kids to public high school, public middle school, public grade school? Would You you could choose to put them in a private school. There's that option. Mm-hmm. But most people do not choose that option because it's not affordable. Yeah. So as a society, we agreed, you know, that that was a like a right. Like we need to educate our population, mm-hmm. right? So we're not... This is not radical. We're talking about expanding public education. We're in, we're in a modern society. We, we need to be prepared for our, the future. And continuing education after high school needs to happen. It, it, it's just a part of life. Like, mm-hmm. We need it. Yeah. And uh, so do you think the Democrats are hurting themselves by constantly cautioning their, uh, the left uh, part of the party to slow up, uh, to not be so bold, uh, in their initiatives uh, to hold back for fear of losing some swing voters. Do you think the Democrats are hurting themselves by doing that? Absolutely. Stop working so hard, kid. You're making us look bad. That's right. Who hasn't <laughs> heard that? I, I feel like that's Who hasn't a heard s- that? certain level of right? that mentality yeah. You know, yeah. displayed here. Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, uh, I, I just remembered so strongly when, um, I think it was Congressman John Lewis um, who I mean, it's hard to criticize Congressman John Lewis. He was a great hero in the civil rights struggle, but he was chastising Bernie Sanders for offering free education. And it's just like, wow, free education. You should be championing that, John Lewis. Uh, All right. Now, in the last go around, the Democratic Party, uh, to put it mildly, was a little bit resistant uh, to uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign. We're still, uh, the ramifications of that resistance are still being played out to a certain degree, Drew, uh, with the uh, Mueller investigation, with uh, the... uh, Assange was just arrested in uh, England, or and uh, it's tr- going to be they're trying to extradite him to the United States, and they're going to get back to the issues of who hacked into the Democratic computers. This fight it seems like it's never going to end. Uh, and uh, do you think in this go around the party will be as resistant uh, to a Bernie Sanders campaign, or do you think accommodations have been made uh, to make uh, the organized Democratic Party? more open-minded to Bernie Sanders, either one of you guys. I mean, I look at it like the Democratic Party isn't a club, right? I mean, as I said, Bernie has built up his organization in all 50 states. Whether they want to work with the Bernie people or not, they're there. They're learning how to vote, they're learning how to run for office, and they're learning how to organize. So I, I would hope you'd want that as an value added to your party operations as opposed to to trying to you know stifle it april 27th we're going to have 4000 make 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 note of this april 27th there's going to be 4000 house parties for bernie sanders or events scheduled for bernie sanders to talk about just that to talk about how to harness your your local organizing efforts and uh, and to be able to go out and talk to your neighbors about 2020 mm-hmm. and that's just the beginning. In 2016, I mean, he really had a transformative election. He made 85 million phone calls and 12, uh, 10, 10 million peer-to-peer text messages. And I'm just under the assumption that that was just the beginning. This election cycle, we're going to knock it out of the park. You could see already, as the front runner, how he has been leading, right? He's been leading in fundraising. He's been leading in organizing. And that's for a reason. And, and do I believe that the DCCC is, is, is not harnessing that energy? Absolutely. But I do see that we've already made a lot of progress. So the, the DTRIP had, a, had a, a, a really bad policy of at-large delegates mm-hmm. uh, for the convention, right? 
eliminated. So is Bernie Sanders have an effect? Absolutely. And I can go through a laundry list of other examples of not necessarily just with the DCCC, but how he's been effective since he's been since he's since he's not been president. One highlighted area, the $15 minimum wage in, for Amazon. I, I live in a community where 3.5% of the gross domestic national product runs through our community. And we have every major Fortune 500 company have, has a warehouse in our area. And once Bernie Sanders pushed Jeff Bezos to raise the minimum wage for his employees $15 an hour, it was an amazing effect. Other industries, other warehouses in our area had to raise their living standards as well because they wanted to be, had to be more competitive. So without even being elected, we're seeing a direct impact in our own communities. But, but furthermore, to talk about the DCCC and the effect that the Bernie Sanders is having, right, right now they're trying to stifle that growth. Mm-hmm. Talk uh, about that. Yeah. yeah. You got Sherry uh, Bustos, right? And it, you can pull up, you know, Sherry Bustos, uh, 17th District. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sent out a letter to her to meet to talk about the blacklisting of consultants. What that means is that the national party will not work with consultants, with working with people that are going to help with fundraising, working with people that want to do campaign management, working with any company that will not sign a contract with you if you're going to support someone running against an incumbent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Wrap I... Wrap your minds around that. What, yeah. the, what does that mean? That's Big Brother trying to stifle that progress and that growth. You, you talked about it earlier, Ben, you know, and, and here you go, the, you know, that... I don't think they got the picture completely just yet. Well, okay. I put inside the big brother imagery for the moment. Here's my, I, we talked about this in the show uh, a couple days ago. I can't remember who the guest was, but, uh, oh, Peter Jenko was Peter Jenko was the guest we were talking about. Who else? Peter Jenko was on the show from the central committeeman from the 14th. uh, And in our revolution leader. And And the man who made this, uh, Milk carton missing Ben Jarofsky milk carton, um, but we talked about this, and I thought this was a ludicrous uh, proposal. Uh, for this reason, this popped into my mind. Many of the bright, creative minds uh, in the Democratic Party emerge from insurgency campaigns. So think, for instance, this is on my mind a lot these days, gentlemen, because I saw the movie uh, "Knock Down the House" about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Think about the strategist. Uh, who worked with Alexander Ocasio-Cortez to design that campaign and win. Wouldn't you think that the the chieftains of the Democratic Party would go, man, I want that person working for me. Bring them into the tent instead of like stifling creativity by like punishing them to dare to run against them. It just does, it's so counterintuitive. You want to develop your bench, as they always say, if you want to develop strategy, maybe the person that beats you in a primary would be the person you want to recruit to work for your comp- campaign. What do you think about that, Drew? It must be hard knowing everything. <laughs> Let me it really you. must be hard for a lot of people knowing everything, yeah. you know. I mean, I, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did an amazing job of taking advantage of, of a clear advantage that she had and not being taken seriously, and she got her vote out. I mean, that's it's not that hard, yeah. right? I mean, you, you build a list of your voters, you push them out on Election Day. That's all you do. This isn't that hard. This isn't rocket science to me. There's a million different ways to do it. But obviously, if you're winning against incumbents, you're yeah. doing something right. Yeah. And you got to keep in mind, though, the message that those new uh, voices are bringing, right? What she stands for is kind of what I believe that they're against in some ways, right? What do you mean? Talk about so that. What is, what is her grand new deal? 
the Green New Deal. Yeah, Green New Deal. Yeah, who who stands to, to lose from that? And and you can look at many congressional candidates, right? That take from the Democratic Party that take big dollars, right, from the energy sector, mm-hmm. big dollars, right. So of course, uh, there is big money to play against those new voices that are that are coming up through the grapevines, right? Yeah. So our revolution, just to give you a heads up, like our revolution in 2018, we endorsed 101 women candidates. We endorsed, we endorsed 62 African-American, Latinx, and Asian-American candidates, 17 military veterans, and 10 openly LGBTQ candidates. So when you're, when you're talking about stifling diversity and stifling growth, and you, look, and you can look at the Democratic Party, they need to learn to expand their opportunities. And the position that they're taking stifles that growth. Mm-hmm. It stifles what, what we have been promoting and encouraging Right. And, 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 the, and the position from the DCCC is that they want to protect their incumbents. You know, OK, protect your incumbents, uh, hire strategists and pump money in your company. Yeah. OK, so if, they, if battle, you want to protect your bun, but you shouldn't cut yourself off from brilliant young talent that may help the party. That's right. Just because well, they're what against did she, it. That's right. So what did she campaign on, right? What were the issues that she campaigned on? She went on the issues. Mm-hmm. She, she was the, on the right side of the issues. So if, if you believe that your candidate is far superior, right, then then you shouldn't have to stifle that uh, that opposition there. It's not a safe district, right, if, if, if you're worried that you need to block off anybody uh, attacking you. We, we, they need to be more acceptance to that growth. And, and, and in my opinion, that it stifles diversity. It's, it stands against everything against the Democratic National Party should stand for. Well, it, I, w- I think the other side of this argument that people would make and that I've heard made for this, this policy is that the, the Democratic Party is a membership organization. I say ridiculous. The Democratic Party is not a club. Politics is a sort of game, right? To me, you know what the main qualification for holding office is? Winning an election. At its core level, you have to be able to win elections to to hold office. And, you know, it. I, I just don't think that you need somebody at a 30,000-foot level deciding who gets to be a member of the club and who doesn't. What are their requirements? What's my dress code? They're not te- – I mean, you, only, you can only support incumbents. Well, how do you innovate whatsoever if you don't step outside of that bubble? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I, I, I don't – I kind of understand it, but I don't I yeah. don't necessarily like it or get it. Yeah, there's a scene in, the, in this movie that I just can't shake out of my mind, uh, this Knock Down the House movie, where Ocasio-Cortez uh, – follow me in this. You guys will get a kick out of this – um, she was running against Joe Crowley, who was an entrenched uh, incumbent, been there for 16 years, was uh, power in the fourth in uh, line, right? Fourth in yeah. line to be uh, a speaker, mm-hmm. and um, had a lot of money. All the endorsements, all the major endorsements of major unions, major Demo- Dem- Democratic elected that officials. That thing should have been unwinnable, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. that should have been unwinnable for her. So he sent out this. She she did this. It's a great moment in the show in the movie. This is began before she's AOC, the, the superstar. She's just. The, the the filmmakers are capturing her while she's running for office. She's a bartender or a waitress or whatever. And she holds up this glossy, multi-page flyer that Crowley had sent out. Colored pictures, very uh, vague language about how he's fighting Trump. All right? And she goes, this flyer uh, was made uh, by a uh, strategist, political strategist. And then she holds her little flyer up one page this is made she points to hers is made by her organizer and very clearly on her flyer it says the date of the election she goes the organizer meaning her put the date of the election 
the strategist didn't have the date of the freaking election on there. So it's like people just get this colored. They don't even know what it is. It's like a phone book anyway. It's so thick and filled. And that's stuck with me. You know what I mean? The way a, a strategist uh, would think about something. You know, let's just put these color pictures in there. We have a focus group that says the Democrats don't like Trump. We're going to make sure people say, you know, it's a. but the, the organizer put the freaking date of the election on there. You got what I'm saying? Absolutely. And that's the kind of person you should bring into the, the party if you want to win other elections. Well, the, the Democratic Party is a big tent, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm proud to, to call myself a Democrat, but I do believe that reforms are needed, and I think that they're coming. And I think that Senator Bernie Sanders and his election represents change that's going to come. All right. Now, uh, let's uh, take a little deeper dive into the state of Illinois. Drew, uh, we were talking before you came on uh, on the show, uh, before we started doing the interview, that you work for Sarah Dady's congressional campaign. I had Sarah on as a guest several times. I coincidentally happened to be wearing a Sarah Dady. <laughs> I swear, I did not even know you were coming today. Uh, so it was fate, It man. was fate. I think it was in DeKalb, was it? Where, where was I when Sarah showed up? Was it? DeKalb? I can't so remember. A few places, actually. A few places, and Sarah brought me a T-shirt, and I love it. It's the purple. I love it. Anyway, um, uh, so Sarah, talk about the Sarah Dady campaign, because I think a lot of lessons can be learned for Democrats about that election. Well, I mean, I think part of it, uh, if you ever looked at Sarah's campaign, right? Hey, I mean, out. I mean, Tell the district. This is 16th congressional 16th district. 16th congressional district. Mostly Republican. Mostly Republican. Current incumbent is Adam Kinzinger. Um, if you, something that I found fascinating about Sarah's campaign was the first night I, I spent with the campaign, I went to an event in Dixon, Illinois, and she had a full house there on their feet, screaming and shouting when she talked about Medicare for All. And this was in Ronnie Reagan's hometown, you know, Riverfront Ronnie. <laughs> so he, there's a statue of him by the Lee County Democrats office, by the way. Is it's him right? on a horse. That's Riverfront Ronnie to me. Okay. But that, that, is, a, that is a staunch Republican area, yeah. but somehow they were able to rally and motivate. Hung, I mean, I, I forget. I don't want to make a miscount on this because I'm not good with like crowd counts. Yeah, it was a lot of people, and it made an impression on me that there's something stirring. I think even in rural America, through campaigns like Sarah's that are very grassrootsy. You know, she won her primary by twelve in twelve counties to to two. One for each of her opponents, you know, and she ended up getting more votes than a Democrat ever had in that district, which should have been impossible. And with the amount of money she raised and spent, most people would write that off. Right. Like she wasn't given a fundraising advantage, but she hustled. So she won her primary. Those are the qualifying steps to me. Now, getting past Adam Kinzinger, that's no small task in that district. Right. It's a very staunch, deep red area. So, I mean, give her points for boldness, if yeah. nothing else. Right. But I think it tells us that there is some, there is an undercurrent, and I do think it's even in rural America where there's still a lot of people that just want to do the right thing, and they consider a lot of these values that we talk about, Medicare for all, you know, affordable college, you know, whatever you want to call it, helping people without putting them out, you know, mm -hmm. would be just good old-fashioned Midwestern common sense that dictates that you take care of people. Mm -hmm. And it's not that radical. I mean, this is what you encounter at the local 4-H club, right? You don't have to go. And it doesn't have to be a lot of, you know, high-minded platitudes about what it means. It's mm -hmm. just being good to one another. And I think that was what I picked up surveying the four, yeah, 14 counties in that district and getting to meet a heck of a lot of people from areas that haven't seen a Democratic Party in decades mm -hmm. get 
raised up, and now they're building lasting democratic organizations. It's beautiful. Yeah, she was in, uh, I think she was within 10 percentage points. I'm doing this off the top of my head in the race against, maybe closer than there, that. Seven or eight. Seven or eight, uh, when she ran against Kinsinger. Uh, and one of the issues, uh, Richard Rodriguez, uh, that Trump plans to use, it's clear, it's obvious, uh, is the issue of immigration, the issue of our, our southern border, the border, the Mexico, Mexican border, the need for the wall. He constantly talks about it. Obviously, he's trying to play one group against another. Obviously, he's trying to take advantage of biases, prejudices, fears, et cetera, and so forth. Today, Friday, when we were taping this, uh, we, we already talked about this earlier in the show. There was a news story uh, that um, Donald Trump was suggesting on a tweet or his, his uh, aides were talking about, uh, quote, unquote, I'm par- paraphrasing the best I can, just sort of collecting all the immigrants who are uh, currently uh, in detention centers on the border and just randomly sending them to sanctuary cities, democratic cities throughout the country. Oh, you want these immigrants so much? We're just going to dump them on your doorstep. I don't know how realistic that is. It's anything he's going to follow. But as rhetoric, though, that's what he's serving up uh, to fire up his base. How does Bernie counter that kind of rhetoric when dealing, trying to win over Trump voters? I'm not sure if you're going to win over all the Trump voters. I I think that... uh that that's a losing strategy. If if you're going to you know consider uh, bringing on uh, Trump supporters, uh, that that's a losing strategy. I think expanding you know our position um, is is the, is the right route to go. And I don't make comments on Donald Trump, you know, and all the tweets and the rhetoric that comes out of that man's mouth. Um, I, I prefer not to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I supported and I will continue to support, you know, uh, a joint uh, agreement between Democrats and Republicans on uh, um, an immigration bill. You know, when uh, we had the late senator uh, that uh, had supported uh, the, the Gang of Eight, mm-hmm. when they came together and they put together a comprehensive immigration bill, I thought it was a, 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 a decent bill. How about John McCain's John bill? McCain, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's what we're going to need to, to have again, but we're going to have to have a rational conversation about it. I mean, having, uh, you know, a tweet storm about radical ideas and, you know, downright racist and bigotry, you know, let's, let's be honest about it. I mean, he's, he's playing to people's fears, you know, he's demonizing a whole you know section of the community. And I'll, I'll leave you with this story. You know, the day after the president was elected, you know, someone told my son, he's got to go back to Mexico at school. And, you know, it was it was a sad moment for me, you know, to, to, to think that this is the new modern America that we're living in, you know, and that was, you know, a, a, a sad day. And being a political wonk that I am, it, I felt that if I was exposed to something like that, many were. And sure enough, through our church, we, we had several conversations about the about, about that racism and in the election. And sure enough, the pastor of my church, her son, had uh, had someone tell her, her son something, you know, racist as well. And, you know, that's a sad state. Mm-hmm. So I would much rather talk about, you know, a real comprehensive immigration bill, you know, and, and look at, you know, all of the, you know, realistic uh, options that we, that we have. Uh, and I heard a story just the other day, and I don't know, you know if it's true, and this sounds very Trumpian, but I had a, a Republican friend of mine tell me that, uh, that Trump put a, his name over a Obama wall, uh, that he put his, like, you know, Obama had a section of the wall built down on the border. 
I don't know if anybody's familiar with that story, yeah. but that was, you know, how ironic, you know, but it, they, they, I think they're trying to paint a picture that Democrats, you know, are for open borders. Yeah. No, but we need to have a, a reasonable conversation about how we manage, you know, people wanting to come to this country because it's not, we're the, we're the land of the free, the home of the brave, you know, give us your tired, give us your weak. It, it's going to be something that we're going to have to address, not just short term, but long term as well. So we need a comprehensive bill to really look at that issue. Mm. Mass migration happens on this continent. Is it going to stop by building a wall? No, but we, we need to have reasonable conversations. I, I, I don't, you know, think, you know, Picking up families and dropping them off in sanctuary cities is, 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 is humane. I don't think separating families at the border is humane. I mean, I just read uh, another article uh, just the other day that he was that they're looking at building up the separating of families again at the border. Mm-hmm. I seen the Archbishop, uh, the Catholic Church in our region in Wilk in the Will County area, put out a newsletter in opposition of that. So you know, it, it's a sad day in America when when you see those things you know happening in there uh and uh of course i have to ask you this question i almost forgot it It was the first thing i told you i was going to ask you uh we've been talking about this a lot on the show uh the fact that um uh, bernie did not release his taxes in 2016 (laughs) Uh, donald trump didn't release his either bernie went on uh, trevor noah's show i think it was the other day he said i'm going to release him yeah and the the wise crack that trevor noah came up with i don't know if you saw this richard yeah uh, or drew but uh right. the, the wise crack that Tr- trevor noah came up with i'm gonna do my best to paraphrase i can't do it as good as well as trevor did is that donald trump won't release his taxes because he doesn't want people to know how poor he is and bernie sanders doesn't want to release his taxes because he doesn't want people to realize how rich he is uh and then subsequently it turned out i don't know where this came out that bernie is a millionaire uh, and uh, so how, when Bernie finally releases those taxes, Richard, uh, we see how much money he has, and he be, it turns out that he does maybe have a million dollars in assets or what have you. How do you think that's going to play for you, him? I think there was something released today. Oh. I, I, was, I was on the train, okay. so I, I, I really haven't looked too deeply into it, but I think there was something that was released today, something okay. like he had $2.5 million in his retirement. Well, the, the guy's an old retired, you're not retired, but he's, yeah. a, you know, he's an older gentleman yeah. that has been working for a lifetime and he's had a successful book and they were breaking down, you know, how, how much he's raised during his book sales. That was the highlight of his uh, rich career. I think he made uh, 1.2 million on his first book mm-hmm. and he made like $500,000 on his second book. And he made, I don't know, what is it? 750 or something on his third book, but you know, God bless him. You know? Isn't that kind of light for a U.S. senator? Right? I mean, is it two only two five? Like, I'm not. I'm I not think impressed. he might be one of the, <laughs> the poorest senators that exist. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know if there's any new senators that are coming out. Yeah, how? Today. Who is the poorest senator? Yeah, that's, who is the poorest senator? How much do they make a year? How can we never have that conversation? Yeah. What's the, what is the mean? What is the mean at salary? Or what? I think they make a hundred and seventy. But I mean, thousand. What are they? Hundred forty. I think like that, that uh, the the concept of a poor senator is a conf, uh, you know just an oxymoron, a contradiction. I mean, a poor senator. The yeah. Senate was created to be the house of like rich people. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> the notion of a poor senator just. I mean, you yeah. could be comfortably middle-class senator let's say but because if you're making 170 grand already off the bat you're not going to be poor unless you're gambling in a way or something of a drug addiction uh but uh, yeah so your point is well taken but you know i don't i don't think his wife is working 
right? I, I don't think she Who, was the, uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders' Swift. wife. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she has had a long, successful professional career. I, I might be wrong, and I don't know. I do not know. But, uh, you know, a man providing for his family, is that reasonable? I mean, I know my income. Uh, I'm, I'm 40 years old, and, yeah. uh, you know, I make a comfortable living. You know, by the time I'm his age, I should probably have a pretty comfortable retirement as well. You hope. So, I hope, right? Yeah. Yeah, not, not unless the market crashes again, which, you know, we're yeah. Is it wrong to do well? I mean, yeah. is that what we're saying now? It's wrong to and, do and well? And he sold a successful book, yeah. right? And and that was individuals probably paying ten dollars uh, download or twelve dollars. I don't know what you what you what his book cost, but uh, you know, well, you I look th- at that as a you know a positive thing. He's not making five hundred thousand dollars on a speech. Yeah. you know what I mean. He's not getting uh, you know a one point five million dollars in some kind of consulting gig. You know, doing you know some some shady deals. So you you got to look at how the man made the money, right? He sold a successful book after he ran for president. I think what in in a general sense, following in this one. Uh, what an issue that the Republicans or an apparent contradiction is what I want to say that the Republicans try to exploit is the contradiction, which could be a phony or fraudulent one, but the contradiction embedded in the notion that somebody could call themselves a socialist, somebody could call themselves an advocate for a more equitable distribution of money in our society would at the same time be wealthy. And Republicans loved, it's a, it's like, a, it, it is a bit of a contradiction. It's a, it a bit of irony, I guess. I don't know. And Republicans just can use that. And people go, oh, Mr. Socialist has got a million dollars. Why don't you give your million dollars to the poor? You get what I'm saying? Is that, yeah. that kind of like uh, Republican legislators that vote against LGBT legislation being found with uh, same-sex prostitutes or something? You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> say, hasn't that happened a few times? It happened. Yes. How can we zero in on Bernie Sanders making a million, uh, making a million dollars off a book? But we we'd like to overlook a lot of that other stuff. I, I and Republican s- voters seem to as well. I would say the what you, the example you gave is a far more blatant. Uh, uh, example of uh, hypocrisy than uh, a person who says, I want to see more of my tax dollars go to support the poor being wealthy. Do you follow what I just said? Uh, But nonetheless, I can almost guarantee uh, Drew and Richard that we will, if Bernie is the candidate in 2020, you will see Republicans go out, he's a millionaire, you know, those commercials or something like that. Isn't that their qualification for Donald Trump? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's I a millionaire. Well, well we against Bernie says, but he's a millionaire. Yeah, well, it works. Isn't it funny how everything works both ways for the Republicans? By the way, we do not know uh, the extent of Donald Trump's fortune or his wealth because he won't release his taxes. Uh, so. well, I know there's certain committees that are requesting that. So. Yes. So Bernie's hopefully, gonna... hopefully there is some light that's shed on it. All right, so if anybody uh, wants to get involved with our revolution, anybody... Uh, OurRevolution.com? Well, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can go on there. You can you know type in your zip code and uh-huh. find your local Our Revolution group. Or if you're currently organizing, right? So now, and this is a conversation that we're going to have on the national level, is how do we expand, right? So there's now a lot of new groups, new organizations that are coming up now that Sanders running for office again, new groups that are starting up, you can also be a part of our revolution. You can assign to be a chapter, local chapter group. So you can go to ourrevolution.com, see if there's a local organization that already exists in your area. And if not, feel free to send us an email. And we're happy to uh, to help. Not long ago, Bernie showed up in Chicago. I think yeah. there were about 10,000, 12,000 people. 12,000 people. Uh, any more visits planned for Bernie? Uh, absolutely. I'm confident. He's going to be in Madison tonight. 
So I know there's a group of people that are coming up uh, from Illinois to, to go up to Madison, and I'm confident that he'll be back again. This is a very important state. He came very close last time around, winning the state of Illinois. I know he lost Cook County. He won our county. Look, mm-hmm. he, he won a lot of the Collard counties. But he won the, Sangamon County. Sangamon County down in Springfield. Yeah. And I think he came four points shy of Chicago. So I'm confident, right, that this time around there are going to be. And and as you can see, I know you talk Chicago politics all day. You know, the revolution is coming. Yeah. Well, you know. (laughs) Are you ready for the revolution? I'll tell you what, when the interview began, Drew was not a Bernie Sanders supporter. <laughs> Just listening to Richard and talk. When we began, Drew wasn't even a guest. <laughs> Matt, Matt, how did this happen? What did you just walk into? I never said I was voting for him, Matt. I just said I love him. <laughs> He's wow. holding out. Uh, no, yeah, he uh, he came to town. He got 12,000 people, and yeah. I don't know many people. Now, I, to the point you were making, Drew, uh, the interesting thing is when you go into uh, uh, counties or areas that are mostly Trump, the Democrats, the minority party, tend to favor Bernie. I've noticed this. When I go out to the outlying areas of Chicago uh, and the Dems, Democrats I meet, many of them are for Bernie. You gotta you be know? a you gotta be a tough cookie out in those rural areas to be a Democrat. You know, you've really gotta be stuck on some principles or something, <laughs> is how I look at it. I think that's an accurate statement too. <laughs> I have a lot of colleagues that live downstate. As I mentioned, I, I lived in Springfield for a long time. I've worked political campaigns in rural and suburban areas quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a different world uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I think it is amazing when you go out there, they're really stuck in because I think it's, a, there may be a little bit of an effect of the, you know, the Trumpers, they love throwing it in their face, you know, that Trump's the president. So, you know, every time that happens, I think, you know, Democrats in rural areas, they push back a little bit more. They're going to dig a little bit deeper, just a little bit deeper. And yeah, I, I, I I enjoy rural areas and rural Democrats. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it can be a little different world down there. And certainly the Republican opposition is ruthless. You know, they, they control these counties through and through and these rural areas through and through. And they don't they don't like giving up much power. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're up against. And that's really isn't that where we're supposed to be winning races? Right. I mean, we know where Democrats are going to win races in the city of Chicago. Right. It's a matter of turnout. We just need enough votes out of Chicago to, to float. Right. But in the rural areas, there's a real struggle. There's a real building process. But in that regard, I think there's also a lot of real opportunity with all the people that are being activated by Donald Trump. Donald Trump could be the best thing that's ever happened to the Democratic Party if it plays it just right. I really believe that. I really believe that. Do you that. share that uh, belief, Richard? Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to not make comments about Donald Trump, but I do believe that there is progress to be made. And I think he's woken some people up, right? Uh, And I think he's woken people up to engage them in a way that they want to be more involved into politics. And part of our being a part of our revolution, we see a lot of new people wanting to run for office, a lot of new people wanting to be engaged. So most of our new, most of our groups are organized by people like really first time into politics. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're finding you know that that growth is, is important, and, and so I so I, do I believe that we're going to win over Trump voters. No, do I believe that Trump is the best thing for the Democratic Party? No, I think he was probably the worst thing for America. <laughs> for America, yeah. you know, right? I know. Yeah. I'm telling. We should I, be shunning him, right? Yeah. Shun the president. <laughs> Shun Donald Trump. <laughs> Drew, you have a voice of an angel. Um, <laughs> and a face for radio, right? <laughs> Drew's the only guy who come in and sing and uh, make me sound good. All right. Uh, Drew Dushinskis. Drew. I had it so, Dushinskis. 
And uh, Richard Rodriguez from Our Revolution, thank you so much for coming in, gentlemen. Appreciate it. And uh, bring you back as the campaign unfolds. How about Thanks, that? Man. All right, very good. I'm Ben Jarofsky, and this has been a bonus segment of The Ben Jarofsky Show. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool. ...or attending one live... You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.